First John chapter 4. Miss Jennifer, see my expression when Brother Chris got up here and he announced his text this morning. I thought, amazing. I did, but in doing so, <laughs> yeah. Alright, getting it to where it'll jam in and under there. There we go, hopefully, maybe, kind of, sort of. Alright. First John chapter number four, and not because Valentine's Day is on the Tuesday. And I didn't even think about it until I come over here and turn on the heat. And by the way, that kicked off on its own. It was running away that one day, but it did kick off on its own today. So, but anyway, I still am going to change out both of them, make them the same as far as programmable and so on and so forth. But anyway, but. Um, it did kick off today, and I didn't. We noted that a little bit last night. But First John chapter four. I come over here to do that. Turn it on a little early, and get the fans moving it around so it wouldn't be so cold like it was last night coming in here. And um, then I and I, I did take down the sign last night. I'm going to put up. And prayed about what to put on. I've got that on my desk to get done. But um, when I was over here earlier. It just it kind of dawned on me based on what uh, I'm going to put on the sign and my message this morning. Hope nobody, uh, especially the message this morning, uh, just thinks that because Tuesday is Valentine's Day, I was thinking to myself, I'm going to. I need to announce it. We don't. We don't worship saints. We don't worship Saint Nicholas, and we don't worship Saint Valentine. And uh, and those are men. If they were men, and I think historically they probably were, maybe good men did something for you know Saint Nicholas like. You know, whatever his story was, but uh, we're all saints. And just because, you know, maybe some people are recognized, and I know in the Catholic Church they have to meet certain criteria to be called a saint, uh, we're all saints in Christ, and uh, what a blessing that that is. And, and we all should live uh, according to the precepts of the Scripture, you know, as far as being um, hospitable and, and so on and so forth, and having so. So the things that some people, you know, the attributes that some, the Christian, let me go ahead and put that away, the Christian attributes that some people acknowledge on some people's men, some men and women even that, should be all of our attributes. Principles in the Word of God, attributes on the child. They knew that they were first called Christians at Antioch. Why were they? I mean, they looked and they said, that bunch down there at Antioch, they... Follow Christ. You can tell because of their lives. So our lives should reflect the same when it comes to being called a Christian and being called a saint of God. Amen. I'm, I am, like Brother Glenn said this morning, a sinner, but I'm saved, and that makes me a saint. All right. So, and uh, what a blessing that that is. First John chapter four, and it's it's we're speaking about love. Here last Sunday we talked about that that light in the light of dark and, and those that were blinded and the minds that were blinded and people that has that hoodwink on them. 
and uh, they're hoodwinked in, 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 the, in the world and they're, they're blinded and their, their sight is blinded. So, uh, so last week we had, you know, and we'll turn to John chapter, 1 John 1. We dealt with this on a Sunday night, um, 1 John 1, 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declaring to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. We dealt with that last week. And if you'll turn to, to the, uh, the gospel of John real quick, hold your place there in 1 John. But I know Brother Glenn is in, in John, and he's been in John, he's John 1 this morning. But I'm just going to hit a, borrow a scripture from over there, John chapter 2. No, I'm sorry, John chapter 5, there we go. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 2, John chapter 5. Verses 24 through 26, John chapter 5, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, this is Christ talking, hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is possessed, I'm sorry, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is. When the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father, here it is, hath life in himself, so hath given he so hath he given to uh, the Son to have life in himself. So the Father, God is light. The Father hath life in himself. And we see that he giveth eternal life, and he giveth life physically, and he giveth eternal life. Genesis chapter 2, and verse number 7, if I'm, I'm not, there we go, yeah, I'm looking at 3. Genesis 2, verse 7, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And what happened with that soul, you say, because when, when Adam sinned in the next chapter, <laughs> and, and, he, and he, words, he planted that, that um, garden, verse number 8, and the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he, for, he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground made... The Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the right or to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became uh, and became into four heads. But uh, verse number sixteen, well, verse number fifteen, and the Lord God took man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou, shalt, uh, that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, did he fall over dead and begin to rot the day that he ate? No. Because what died was his soul. Amen. That's right. Verse number seven, 
He says, so he breathed into his nostrils of life, uh, into his nostrils the breath of life. The man became a living soul. And that's what died that day. His soul died. He began to live. He lived hundreds of years in total, in total life of Adam, but his soul died. And, and so, you know, some people want to, you know, want to say, well, it said he shall, in that day he shall surely die. I said he didn't, he didn't die. He didn't fall over dead and begin to rot and go to the ground. No, he did that 900 and some odd years later or 800 or whatever his life was. I didn't look it up. But his soul died. And because his soul died, then he needed life again. God gave him physical life by breathing into his nostrils. In fact, scientists now can take, and of course they're doing it with all kinds of different things, but I, I have been told that scientists can take the, you know, the minerals and things like that and, and basically make a body. In fact, some of, the, some of the robots and things like now are more and more realistic and plum, plum scary. This AI stuff that's out there these days, artificial intelligence. But you know, it's going to take a battery. It's going to take some kind of electricity to 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 make that thing run. You know, I could have a whole body down here with with the, you know a heart and everything else, but it it takes God to give the initial life when He formed us in our mother's wombs. It's he that put the cells together. And then it's he in his creation that causes the cells then to be to divide and, and form the baby in the mother's womb. But then when it comes to eternal life, he has to give that too. And like I just read there in John, in, in John chapter 5, how that he in, in him is life, in the Father is life. So God is light, God is life, if you want to put it in him is life, both physical and eternal. Everlasting life is given to us when we accept his son, Jesus Christ, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have Everlasting life. There's an eternal life in the previous verses there. He uses the word eternal and he uses the word everlasting there. And God gives us that life in the new birth. What a blessing. But today, God is light. God is life. God is love. That's what we're going to look at today. God is love. 1 John chapter number 4. And, you know, of course, he talks about the spirits there, and it was already made reference to this morning there in verse number 1. And the Antichrist, and I know we're teaching through verse John, and, and there's just so much there, and I appreciate this. And, yes, oftentimes I do point new believers that way, how that they can know, because just like Brother um, Shipman's prayer letter that we read last night, a new convert there in Germany. Uh, he didn't. He he um, he. It was hard for him to come to the knowledge that he could be saved. 
because he was hanging on to his past and the things of his past was, was keeping him from coming to Christ. He didn't think that there was any way because of his past that he could. He must do some, some things in, in his life to make himself better and to earn, to, to get to a place where he would be fit for the gift. And Brother Shipman dealing with him as he expressed there in the prayer letter, he said, he said it wouldn't be a gift if you had to work for it. And God finally showed it to him and he then understood and then accepted that free gift that was offered to him, that gift of eternal life. What a blessing. So God is life, God is light, and we expressed it, we dealt with that last week, now God is love. I think I'll pick up reading here in verse number 8, 1 John 4 verse 8. Well, let's go... Verse number 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. It was In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. There's the love and there's life again. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Let's just finish reading the chapter. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God... God dwelleth in him, and he, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. So the two times express expressly the phrase God is love is, both, is found both right here in this chapter. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may, be, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that, we, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you and praise you, your God, for your love and your mercy and your graces, Lord, for life. And, uh, Lord, for the light that you sent my way. 
And I pray and ask that you would send all these things here today. Uh, Lord, for those that are in darkness, that they would see the light and, uh, Lord, uh, and learn your love that is expressed toward us because you loved us first and, and that you gave us your only begotten Son as an expression of your love uh, toward us. Help us to see that. And Lord, uh, thank you, Lord, for that. And for those that have not seen that, I pray that they'll see it today. Uh, Lord, that they might have that life that we've already talked about as well uh, that uh, can be obtained in believing of, uh, in the only begotten Son of, of God, which is Jesus Christ. I pray and ask that you would move upon hearts this morning. We ask and pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen and amen. So back to verse number 8. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested... The love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might or that we might live through him here in his love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son into the world. Uh, uh, he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And propitiation is not a term that we use often. Obviously, we use it here in church, but, you know, out there in our daily um, our daily language and our daily uh, discussion propitiation is not a word that comes up too often and so just for sake of reminding us what the definition of propitiation is because he said that Jesus Christ and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins and it's that's the manifestation as we read there in verse number nine he used the word manifested that is 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 how he begins to show his love the manifest, a manifest, he, he shows his love. This is how he, he begins to show his love. He shows his love to us in the fact that he sent his son to be the propitiation. What is propitiation? The first, there's a, there is in theology uh, as far as the second definition here goes, but I'm going to read the first one. The act of appeasing wrath and conciliating the favor of an offended person, the act of making propitious. All right, so if you appease the wrath of somebody, you know, what is it going to take to satisfy you? I mean, if if I was just talking and dealing with man in a propitiation, well, I'm going to require this of you before I'll ever give you forgiveness, before my wrath will ever be satisfied. All right? A propitiation could be the fact, you know, that... Uh, we we kind of, and it's true, this does happen in the world. Our military will be, say, in a foreign country, and we'll, whether we're occupying it there or we're, whether we just have agreements to, to, to be there and, uh, and to kind of help them out, a smaller country, we in the United States forces, but then... You know, whether it's a military convoy or a military serviceman that happens to be stationed there, gets out, say, on the road, and he's driving down the road, and he hits a farmer's cow and kills it. So the wrath of the farmer comes down upon the United States military. And in their law, not only does the appeasement come... <laughs> in paying for that one cow, but the United States government, we write, the United States taxpayer 
not only he pays for that cow for that farmer, but they figure out how old that cow is, how many years that cow is born an offspring, and then for several more years of offspring, future offspring that that cow could have produced, then we also pay for those cows that had never been born that could have been produced from that cow. And that finally, after they figure out all that, is what satisfies that farmer for you killing their cow, for a serviceman killing their cow. And uh, it's, it's kind of that way. They say, oh, yeah, they, so you pay, you pay for what the cow could have produced, not only just the cow itself. But that satisfies him. And, but then the second definition in theology, the atonement or atoning sacrifice offered to God to assuage his wrath and render him propitious to sinners. Christ is the, is the propitiation for the sins of men. He is the atoning sacrifice. Brother Glenn, it amazes me how God lines things up. He finished his lesson this morning with John saying, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. John the Baptist declared that Jesus Christ, who was before John, as it was mentioned this morning already, before John, in the beginning, Jesus Christ was, and before John, Jesus Christ was, and John declared him to be the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. That was the only thing that was going to satisfy God was the sacrifice of his son. He gave example with Abraham and Isaac, and what a beautiful picture that was. Uh, and then, but he, he stayed Abraham's hand, and he didn't have to kill his only begotten son. You say, well, Abraham had more, but, you know, and he did have another son. He had a son in Ishmael, but that wasn't the promised seed. And, and the, as it was already discussed this morning, through the prophets, the promised seed, the Messiah was promised, and they were looking for the Messiah. But they were thinking that the Messiah would be setting up a kingdom here on this earth. Get them out the, under the oppression of the Roman, the Roman rule. And, and, and reestablish the kingdomhood of, of the Jews on this earth. But that wasn't the kingdom that God had in mind. So that's why they rejected him. Because as we would read the... Although they would agree that no man ever spake like this man, and they, were, they, they would listen to his doctrine, which was strange to their ears, they were still looking to, you know, for this great warrior, if you want to put it that way, that would become king, and it would deliver them in that way, not realizing that the deliverance they need, needed was not an external deliverance. The deliverance that they needed was an internal deliverance from their sins. And the only thing that was going to satisfy, in fact, even the disciples that walked with him in his, in his ministry here on this earth could not understand why he had to go to the cross. Peter said, you're not doing it. I'm paraphrasing that. I'm not going to let you do that. But that wasn't what God wanted. That Christ, in his humanity, knew that there would have been an awful bitter cup to swallow. 
But he, as he prayed to the Father in the garden, he got to the place where he said, Not my will, but thine be done. That was the only thing that would satisfy God was for him to lay down his life. And he did. No man took his life from him. He freely laid it down. But thanks be to God, oh, he had victory over death. He had victory over because he got up again. And there's the gospel message. He died for our sins according to the scripture. He was that, was and is the propitiation. It's only, only through him and his life on the cross that was that atoning sacrifice that assuaged, that satisfied God's wrath on sin. The wages of sin is death. Somebody's going to pay that. Jesus paid it so we didn't have to. But you've got to believe it. You've got to accept that free gift that you don't have to pay it yourself because if you don't accept the propitiation, you don't accept that atonement, that was shed, his blood that was shed for you, then you will pay for your sin, and it will be death. Physical, we're all going to die once, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. But then that second judgment, those that don't know Christ, those that never have had the blood of Jesus Christ applied to their lives, those that never have had the propitiation applied to them, the wrath of God will be on them and they will stand before God at the great white throne judgment and they will be judged according to their works and they'll be cast along with death and hell into the lake of fire and the Bible tells us in Revelation that that is our second death. And then we are going to be there paying for our sins forever and forever and forever and forever because that doesn't satisfy God. You'll never get it paid, right? But Jesus done paid it. That satisfied God. He is that propitiation. He is the sacrifice that God is satisfied with. What love. I know some hearts and things like that have already come in and I understand the gifts for the kids and things. And you go into, you know, of course, back the day after Christmas, you started seeing that whole, the seasonal aisle exploded with red and white and hearts and things like that. And flowers, expressions of love. But what a greater expression is the fact that he, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. An expression of love. Mm -mm -mm. So that was the way it was manifested. Because he sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for us. Our sins. Verse number 13. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. 
Let's see, there was what I'm trying to get to. And I think it was maybe the manifestation. Let me pack it up here. Let me try to find it. Um, yeah. You know, I, as I was reading down through here, and God directed me to this chapter, he's also kind of said to relate it in a way because oftentimes I pray, how can I relay this? And like I said, bring it down to where we understand. Where the, you know, he mentioned the age of accountability where a child could understand. And I got to looking at the crowd this morning and, you know, there are no single adults in the crowd. I mean, there are some single adults, but the adults that don't have a, a living spouse or don't have a spouse has known what it's been to be married. That's what I'm trying to say. There's no adult in here that's never been married. That's what I'm trying to get at. So to, 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 you know, to, to get it this way, we understand. You know, the, the, day that, the day that I went up to the Sun and Shield Baptist Church in Tucson, Arizona meeting in a, at the time, a day's end conference room, I didn't go looking for a wife. But I found one. <laughs> I was introduced to the woman that would become my wife that particular day. And again, under first introduction, you know, married, mar being married to her was the farthest thing from my mind at first introduction. In fact, she already knows this. In fact, <laughs> I was already, you know, had some had some dates lined up the month before I went to Sicily with about three or four different women that are girls that I knew. I was supposed to go camping with one. I was supposed to take another one to their prom, and so on and so forth. And so it was a little awkward when I said, I can't do all that, I'm getting married, you know, that kind of thing. But, uh, but I didn't know, and I was thinking about, you know, oftentimes how, how a relationship comes about. Maybe, you know, you're just, you know, you're with your friends, they're with their friends, you, you get together in whatever function, whether it's a church function or some kind of social gathering, some kind of gathering, but somebody introduces you to the other one. There's an introduction. Sometimes it's a buddy of yours and kind of gives you a little nudge and gives you a little point, and you look across the room and you say, uh -huh. <laughs> Yeah, and again, you might just, you're, you're just out. But somebody, somebody points, points them out to you. Somebody, maybe a mutual friend introduces you. And then the relationship starts that way. That introduction. You know, I think, and I'm trying to find the application here where, where we... There it is. Verse number 16. 
And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. No, that ain't it either. There it is. Verse number 14. 13. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify. That's what I'm looking for. Do testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. I know Brother Glenn made reference to himself as a Sunday school teacher in the Sunday school class and made reference to me as the pastor preaching the messages. And regardless of whether me, any, any preacher that would get up here and preach, and oftentimes it's just maybe just a discussion among family members or friends where you're just sharing your testimony with them. Like Sean says, we testify. You know, somebody knows the person. And they just maybe know the kind of person that knows that you could be compatible. And they just, let me introduce you to her. Let me introduce you to him. Let me introduce you to my friend. And you're first introduced, you don't think that there's necessarily going to ever be a relationship grow out of it. But that's you've got to start somehow. And so many times... We as the children of God are so misunderstood. They're thinking, every time I get around them, that's all they, they say is that, that I, need to be, I need Jesus in my life. I need to come to Christ in my life and whatever. But see, we know him. We know what the relationship is like with him. We want you to have that same relationship because we know how great it is. And oftentimes, and I know that there's been <clears throat> the word matchmaker thrown around. Certain people known to be matchmakers. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it don't. But that's basically, you know, we're married folks. Everybody in here has had, you know, in, in a relationship or has had a relationship in a married situation and we've got friends or maybe children that are old enough to be married. We as fathers and mothers start maybe, you know, we get, and, and, and I was just re relaying this the other night, um, Friday night, um, this weekend, Friday, Thursday, Friday, I guess Friday, and Saturday, um, there was an auctioneers association convention here, association meeting, annual meeting that my son-in-law was in on, and uh, they had a contest and so on and so forth on auctioneers and and ringman, and he actually won the ringman contest. We went there for dinner the other night and got to see Rebecca and and the boys. That's the benefit of it all. I got a good meal, but to see Rebecca and the boys. But, you know, how it worked, we were traveling. I was in, I, you know, on deputation at the time, and you go. And we'd go into churches. Of course, you know, the girls are getting big enough to where they're starting to notice men, boys, young men. And the young men are starting to know. In fact, apparently, Rebecca...
had eyes for him before he ever thought about having eyes for her. Like, girl. In fact, she had a camera, and she, to make excuse to have a picture of him, we later found out, she had Philip stand next to Philip, go stand next. Let me get your picture. That's a good thing for little brothers, right? She had Philip go stand next to Jacob, and she took his picture because, you know, it was just a bunch of young people, but Rebecca had other motives so she could see Jacob on a picture. Anyway, you know, the first few times we, we went by there, and then by and by it just grew into, but it starts with an introduction. So children of God, that's what we, you know, as we, as we start to try to match make, we start to see, you know, when we get in the vehicle, you know, say, uh, you know, that's a mighty fine, you look at Rebecca or whatever, that's a mighty fine young man in that church up there in Muskogee. Uh, and maybe that, something along those lines caused her to start considering. You know, and that's what the preacher's doing here and the teachers are doing here. And maybe just individuals that say, look, you need to consider some things. You need to consider your future. We can make application of this in the courtship and marriage. They get, they get old enough, they begin to consider their future. Am I going to have a family? Am I going to have a spouse? Am I going to seek someone to marry? And sometimes, oftentimes there's the, the matchmaker. Oftentimes there's the one that introduces Maybe it's a nudge and a point, or maybe it's an introduction. Or maybe it's a nudge and a point, and maybe you just go up and introduce yourself. <laughs> Brother Joe Yergin introduced me to Lisa, but then after church was over that morning, I reintroduced myself. What'd you say your name was again? I began talking with her. Went back that Sunday night. Actually sat on the same row as she did. Then Wednesday night, you know, things were different Wednesday night. I went to the altar Sunday night, the testimony, but then began to look around a little closer Wednesday night. And then I asked her out if I, and she said, I, you had, I had to ask her daddy if I could take her out. I said, how old are you? She said, I'm 18, but I'm at the house. She said, you got to ask my daddy. Okay. <laughs> so we went and asked Daddy, Brother Hall, if I could take her out. She said, well, where are you going? I said, we're going to go to Po Folks, and we're going to go eat at Po Folks. Then we're going to go on base, and we're going to go bowling. That was our first day, eating at Po Folks, because I was a Po Folk back then, still pretty much. <laughs> Two-striper, you know, in the, in, the, in the Air Force, you know. And we went base, on base, went bowling. He said, what time do you want to have her in? I said, what time do you want her in? He said, if you want her there at 9 o'clock, she'll be there at 8.55. And he kind of laughed. He said, no. I said, she's 18 now. I said, you can keep her out till 11. She can stay out till 11. She's, he, but he, he had that, that finger seen like that long. He said, but both of you will be in the house of God the next morning. I said, yes, sir. Oh, anyway, that's how it began. The introduction, the reintroduction, and then getting to know. Oftentimes, whether it's as a child, like some that are in here, 
We take, go to Sunday school or we go to vacation Bible school. Somebody comes around. We used to, at our church when I grew up in, the church I was saved in, the, there was a neighborhood kind of behind the church. A church set out on a main, a main road, highway kind of sort of thing, a little two-lane, well, main road, set on the corner. But there was a big neighborhood behind us. And so when we gearing up for vacation Bible school coming up, we'd, we put a big banner on the bus, and sometimes we could get a, a volunteer fire department, somebody, you know, a fire truck or something that had a, they could have a, an ambulance or something. They would have a little parade, some cars and balloons on the cars, and we'd, we'd have a little vacation Bible school parade. We'd go through the neighborhood, blow the horns, and we'd hand out stuff, hey, we're going to have vacation Bible school next week or whatever. And we'll run the bus through the neighborhood. And some of those kids, they didn't go to church regularly, but they were introduced at a young age. Some of us were adults before somebody invited you to church and maybe invited you two or three times. Hey, there's somebody I want you to meet. And they introduce you to Jesus. You have no clue who the name of Jesus was. Maybe you heard it at Easter and maybe you heard it at Christmas time. Maybe, you know, somewhere along the way you heard John 3.16, but you didn't know him as a person. You're introduced and you come around and you keep coming around and maybe somewhere along the way you say, oh, yeah, I know, I know of him. But then the Spirit begins to work. So I, you know, and I know Rebecca, or my, my daughter Elizabeth and Jacob, we moved to Massville, Kentucky, and Elizabeth was four years old. Jacob's a couple years older than her. At a Christian school. So they started going to school together. And in and all through the years, it was either in Christian school or homeschool, but we was at church. And so Jacob and Elizabeth knew each other since they were four years old. So they knew each other. They had a, a, an association with each other. Like oftentimes people that are lost has an association with the things of God, has an association with Christ in the fact that they come to church and hear of him being talked about, but there's no relationship there. The day that, <laughs> the day that Jacob got uh, uh, saved, my first Jacob son-in-law, I got two Jacob son-in-laws, Jacob Rickard got saved. The uh, Alan Ford, the piano is up on a platform over here, and instead of the and so the the it goes all the way across, and so the the mortars benches are right up against the platform here, and there's one over there up against the platform in front of the choir because the choir loft is over there. And Elizabeth is up there playing the piano in the invitation time, and Jacob is up here, and he's. On his knees, he's praying for salvation. He's got his girlfriend on the back row. <laughs> Brought his girlfriend to church with him that day. He said when, he, when he, he got through praying and he looked up and he, he seen Elizabeth. And he said, God right then, his girlfriend's on the back row, but God right then when he got saved said that Elizabeth was going to be his wife. I said, man, alive. Known each other. There was no sparks, per se, between them. But then God done something in his heart. 
said, you need to look at that girl twice. You need to consider that girl as wife, not the girl in the back row that you got with you. And that's the way it is with, the, with salvation. God, as he puts it here, uh, herein is the love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And, and then he tells us down here, uh, whosoever is in, no, there we go, this, and we have known and believed the love that uh, God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. See, God begins this work. We would call it conviction. Amen. Hey, the Bible tells us here in Rome, um, I got it right here, Romans 2, verse 4, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering. Not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? I was thinking about Lisa and I. So beyond, so we, we went out that first night. We enjoyed ourselves enough, I guess. <laughs> she agreed to go out a second time with me. Woo. So the, the way that I asked her out the very first time was, because I literally had just on Saturday night, Saturday morning, like at 2 in the morning, got to Tucson, Arizona. So I hadn't been there maybe just a little over 24 hours. Well, I'll take that back. So several days. So Wednesday night, I asked her out. But here's how I asked her out. I said, so what is there to do in Tucson? And so she began to go down the list. And then one of the things to do, or she mentioned, uh, she mentioned uh, what is it, little two, uh, where the movie set? What's that place called? Old Tucson. It's, it's kind of like an old, the old uh, western town. We never did go there. The old western town, and they did a lot of movies and things out there because it was set up that way. But she, she mentioned Tombstone. We did go down to Tombstone one day, her and her sister and myself, maybe another dude. And, uh, you know, while we were there, we just looking at the OK Corral and all that stuff that's in Tombstone. And we go in these little shops, and you know how it is. They got all these, had turquoise rings, all the silver that, you know, the silver that's out, out west, and turquoise and onyx and so on and so forth. I got a big, I got me a ring. <laughs> I got a belt buckle while I was there, but we was looking at it, and I ain't known her but a few weeks. And there was a little black onyx ring, a little ring, She's she's ninety at that time. She's ninety five pounds soaking wet, ninety six pounds soaking wet. So you know she doesn't like big rings because of her petite size. And there was a little ring there, a little black onyx and silver. She 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 expressed a like in it, and so. When we we went out of that shop and went down the road, or went down walking, and and I found an excuse to 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 go back without them, and I bought that little ring. Again, it was just something that was just an expression of love. It, it wasn't really love at the time. It was just. You know, an ex, a, a gift, a, 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 maybe a, 
an interest, an expression of interest, that's a good word, interest in her. I'd seen that she liked that, and I wanted to get something for her, and then I gave it to her. You know, the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. And that's the way it is. In our relationship with him, somebody introduces us. Somebody says, hey, have you ever heard of Jesus? Let me tell you what he's done for me. And he'll do the same for you. And, and just little things. I mean, just the grace of God that gets you up out of a morning. I mean, you think, oh, it's drudgery that mom and dad brings you down to the house of God. I thank God that my grandmother had the drug problem. <laughs> she drugged me to church every time the doors was open. And you say, well, this is just drudgery. No, it's the grace of God that somebody's got somebody in your life that has enough care for your soul to keep inviting you, to keep bringing you because they, have, they know the love of God and what it's, when it's shed abroad in their hearts and what it means to them and they want you to know the same, relate, have the same relationship with Him. And, and He just keeps like... <laughs> Like Boaz told his, told his men, said, let fall handfuls on purpose. She's out there picking up grain and gleaning, not getting much. When she comes across this little pile, she said, praise God. And she has to let those little handfuls on purpose, those little expressions of, of care, expressions of, of interest in you. Just like that little onyx ring. So I expressed some interest. Gave it to her, surprised her. Then little things here, little things there. And the night before I asked her to marry me, we, we met January the 3rd. We were married April the 7th, same year. The night before I asked her to marry me, and remember I had some I had some dates lined up in April, all right, and I knew my time in Tucson was drawing nigh. The night before I asked her to marry me, I told her I said, you know, I said I'm getting close to the end of my training. I said I think we should just stop, you know, seeing each other. <laughs> I had her crying in McDonald's, boys. She was boohooing. But then Sunday morning, as I was getting ready for church, I'm going to see your church. The Spirit of God reminded me of a prayer that I'd prayed when I was praying for a wife. And I said, Spirit, Spirit said, what about Lisa? And I said, what about Lisa? I'm getting ready to go to Sicily for a year. I'm going to, I, I'm, I'm going to take this one to, to a camp, and I'm going to take this one to a prom. I'm going to take in. And he said, remember that prayer you prayed back in September? What prayer? When you was praying for a wife? Yeah. You know the list you gave me? Yes, sir. Bump Lisa up against that list. Baptist, check. Because <laughs> that was an issue with another person that I knew. So I said, she's got to be Baptist, Lord. I said, I want her to have a, you know, I want her to want a family, check. So on and so forth. And she filled out all the check marks. And I, I said, praise God. The Holy Spirit said, that's the one. I said, okay. 
And I went back to that church that morning, and I was, uh, I mean, after breaking her heart on Saturday night, I mean, I was just all joyful and everything. She didn't know what in the world was going on. But God had said, ask her to marry me. And she's still hurting from Saturday night. Shame on me. In fact, she went, and I didn't go out to eat with them that Sunday afternoon like I had been. She went back, and she was in her room with her sister, and she's all mully-grubbing, sad-sacking, and her sister said, Oh, Lisa, just shut up. <laughs> said, he'll, probably come, he'll probably come tonight and ask you to marry him. And guess what happened? So after church that night, out in the parking lot of the church, I asked her to marry me. And she said yes. 33, nope. <laughs> I'll say, whew. Six years later, get it right. <laughs> 36 years later, this April, here we are. But it started out with an introduction. It started out with an expression of interest in her. And then by and by, I asked her to marry me. I asked her for a relationship. And she accepted. And here we are, 36 years later. You know, and that's the way it is here in the house of God. You come, look, people, people know the relationship. They're the ones nudging you in your arm, pointing you to Jesus. They're saying, look, there's so much in a relationship with Christ that you need and that you can have and you can avoid the punishment that's coming your way and we have an expression of our love toward you. Because we understand the expression of love that he has shown to us. And we want you to have that same relationship. Don't begrudge the one that keeps saying, are you going to go to church with us? Don't begrudge the one that says, hey, we're having this down at the church house. Or, hey, it's time to get up. Teenagers was that way. I don't want to go to church. Don't begrudge that. Just, it, just listen to the, the one that's giving you the nudge, whether it's a child of God that wants you to have or whether it's the Spirit of God nudging you, pointing you to Jesus. Because that's what it is. That Spirit draws us. The goodness of God, the Spirit says, look to Jesus. There's something within you, and it maybe has happened to you in, in previous... Um, uh, Invitation times. The preacher's preaching, whether I'm preaching hard on the sin in your life or I'm preaching a message like this morning where the goodness of God leadeth you to repentance. The, the goodness of God that says, look what you'll have in Christ. Amen. And the Spirit's drawing you. Your heart's breaking over your sin you say, I'm a sinner. I can't come to Christ this way. He said, I'll clean you. His, his blood will clean you up. You don't have to be clean to get here. You need to come here to get clean. Amen. Going back to our relationship. We were introduced, showed interest, asked her to marry me, and she did. And I'll never forget it. Meadowbrook Baptist Church, Maryville, Tennessee. They had a basement. And in that corner was the top of the stairs. I'm standing up there as the groom. 
And here she come in her white dress to the top of the stairs. And then watch her walk up the aisle. For those who have been there and seen that and understand that as a groom, it's like, whew, your heart does a double backflip. But the purity in, in the white dress and the symbolism and the purity, that's what happens when you get into a relationship because that's what was happening that day. I was entering into a covenant and a relationship with my soon-to-be wife and we did that up here and she became my wife and we became one. And that's what happens. The purity that happens here when the blood of Jesus Christ washes you from your sins Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Your sins, which are scarlet, will be white as snow, white as that white dress. As you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, a covenant with Him. And like Lisa and I being two are one flesh, according to the Scriptures. And the... The longer we go together, the, the more one we are. Wow. We think alike. We almost, <laughs> I'll say, I know her. I, I, can, I can go, we were talking about shopping last night. We can go, we, neither one of us, we go, we're both going in, get what we need and go out. Every now and we look around, but most of the time it's that way. And we will go in, but we don't, every piece of material on the clearance rack. We're not that kind of people. The last dress that I bought her, we walked in. I mean, it's just one of those. I mean, I, I do a scope. I say, this is what she will like, and this is what she'll look good in. This is her colors. And I've seen it on, well, not the last dress, but I bought you the time before last. But the last dress, I've seen the same way. But we walked into JCPenney down here, and more wherever the... More Norman, whatever, out there where the suit place is. Walked into JCPenney, and there it was on a mannequin, an orange dress that she wears. And I'm looking and looking, looking, said, that's it right there. I start looking for her size. I said, here you go, go try this on. She said, okay. <laughs> she went and tried it on, and she comes out and said, how does this look? I said, looks good, your, your color. The last time I bought her two dresses, two yeah, two dresses. One dress with two. Anyway, something that coordinates. But anyway, I found it. I know what she, I know the style that she wears, and I know the colors. It looks good on her. And I can go and, and I can buy. How does that come about? It just comes about from that relationship and learning, to, learning each other. And that goes beyond as far as a child of God walking in Him. We're one flesh, and as a child of God, He's in me. And I'm in Him, and we're that one flesh and that relationship that we have. Again, just a beautiful picture of it all is here and, and in salvation. You're, you're dirty, you're rotten, you're, but you enter into a covenant with Him like you do in marriage, and in that covenant you become one flesh. He is in you, and you're in Him. <coughs> I don't understand it all, but it's a spiritual transaction that takes place. That new birth, as Brother Glenn was, was kind of relaying that this morning in the Sunday school hour, there's an internal, and he, was, he used a different word, but I was sitting back there going, internal working, and that's the Spirit of God saying, come to me, and I'll show you the Savior. 
Or, or look at the Savior. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God, the propitiation of God, which will satisfy His wrath and take away your sin as an individual. And when the Spirit of God says, Behold, then look. Take interest. And then enter into that relationship and that new birth, that covenant with Him, that I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And I believe that He died for my sin according to the scripture that he was buried and he raised again the third day according to scripture and that in believing (laughs) there it is we're going to get to the believing part there it is Uh, let's see yeah here it is verse 16 and we have known and believed the love that God has to us God is love and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in Him. That's not where that, but it's talking about believing. There we go. Um, yeah, we go. Verse number nine. It was manif- in this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God had sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might have life through Him. But it all goes to our belief in that gospel message. Amen. Amen. And so. Simple thoughts here, thoughts that repeat themselves over and over and over again in the Word of God and how that uh, we can know and have that relationship if you will put your faith in the only begotten Son of God. Let Him take your sins away this morning. Enter into that covenant. He's shown interest. He's, he's allowed you, to, you know, I got to thinking about the grace of God in another message that God's dealing with me on, just getting up out of the bed and being able to go to work, just having breath today, having life today. That's grace, allowing you to be here to one more time get under the gospel message. That's grace. That's that, that's that little ring, that's that little trinket, that's that little handful on purpose. It says, look, I love you. I, I, I'm showing ex, uh, express a love with you. But how do you come? Let me read this. There's two verses of Scripture here. In Psalm 51, he kind of mentioned it here, but I, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. And he mentions the contrite heart again. Uh, and how that he accepts, that's what he accepts. He wants to accept that contrite heart, and I know I'm overlooking it right here. Uh, and that was in Psalm, uh, and then I, I done lost my place there. But let's see here, the righteous cry. Yeah, there it is. Psalm 34, 17, the righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh to them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. And I looked at the word contrite, and that's what I was looking at, at uh, in, in the prayer room in there. And um, contrite, again, one of those words we don't necessarily use all the time, to break or bruise, 
to bruise, rub, or wear. Literally, worn or bruised. That's how our heart has to be. Hence, brokenhearted for sin. You have to realize that your sin offends him. I offended her the night before I asked her to marry me. Told her to forget me. We've had fun. I'm going to go on with life. All right? And if she, now, and, and I didn't let her tears affect me. Shame on me. But, but if, you know, if I had been more tenderhearted, shame on me, then her broken heart would have affected me. And that's your broken heart. That's the way he, he saves you with when you come with broken heart. And what is your brokenheartedness over? The fact that your sin put Jesus on the cross. Amen. That your sin has to be paid for. And you're brokenhearted over that. Here it is again in the definition. Deeply affected with grief and sorrow for having offended God. Humble, penitent as a contrite sinner. Let me read that again. Deeply affected with grief and sorrow for having offended God. Whatever the, whatever the roadblock is, the stumbling block of salvation, sometimes is the fact that we are not brokenhearted over, our, over offending God in our sin. Others, we feel that we're not good enough, but he, he wants you to come as a sinner. He wants to clean you and make you good, cleanse you and make you good enough. There's a wonderful example how he found Israel in the Old Testament. It talks about being birthed and, and the birth still upon them and the navel had not even been cut yet and just left. But he come along, he picked Israel up, he cleaned Israel off, he swaddled Israel, as Israel grew, <laughs> he bedecked her in jewels and he fed her and so on and so forth. And that's the way he wants to receive you. Dirty, filthy, a castaway, neglected. And you come with that contrite heart, he will cleanse you, <laughs> he will supple you, he will swaddle you, and he will love you. And he loves you now because he made a way. He made a propitiation that you could come to him. And that propitiation is Jesus Christ. As we have a song of invitation, hope and trust. The Lord has dealt with your heart. And if he's dealing, if he's pulling, he's saying the preacher's telling you right. It's, salvation is in Jesus Christ. And, and, the, and the Spirit of God is pulling your heart, pointing you to Jesus, pulling your heart, saying, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. You have to believe that. For by grace are ye saved through faith. That's that belief. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. There's faith. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, that second death, but have everlasting life. And if the Lord's dealing with you, I invite you to come. While we